Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have, making one of his rare appearances, the man behind it all, our producer, Michael Hermes. Hello. So, this is a Patreon uh, episode. This is an episode that uh, people voted on the topic, but but really, I think, Michael, you were the author of, of this episode, this, this catastrophe. Oh, uh, come even. on now. No, we, we're, we're going to have words, okay. but uh, why, why don't you take us through what the uh, what was proposed for Patreon uh, backers to vote on and uh, what you wanted to sort of get from challenging me. And at the time, we, we thought Troy was going to be able to be on the show, uh, challenging the two of us to, to take on the games you put forth. OK, so part of this was. Part of this was uh, malicious, and part of this was uh, just genuine curiosity uh, as far as what you guys would make of of what I pitched. So what I was what I was going for was what are some of the games that most likely would never get their own episode, and they wouldn't get their own episode because they're just too big, they're too complex, too finicky, too something. Right. So I have the list here. Uh, we had. In order, as voted by our backers, it was Distance Wor- Distant Worlds, Universe, um, Aurora 4X, Command Modern Air Naval Operations, Unreal World, and DCS A10 Warthog, which apparently not very many people wanted to watch you guys play. But my pitch was this, right? Ignore the fact that you and Troy wouldn't become masters at these games, right? Because there's just no way. They're, these are games that you spend um, years playing. But it was more... Uh, you guys give the best 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 foot forward effort to say okay i think i kind of get what's going on and then sort of pitch it to one another right say this is what i got out of this this is who might like this game this is what uh i had trouble with or enjoyed and just kind of talk back and forth about what's going on in these crazy worlds and so distant worlds and aurora were the two games and i think you said you were going to do distant worlds and troy was going to do aurora and then as an act of, of mercy, I guess, after Troy had trouble getting Aurora running, which I can't blame him for because it really is kind of a, a pig or a bear to get going. Uh, I said, okay, I'll play Aurora. He wanted to play Command Modern Air Naval Operations, and you were going to play Distant Worlds because that won third place. And then whatever TI-82 he's playing games on blew up. So... He backed out from being in here for quote unquote blew up, (laughs) blew up. So I'm going to talk about Aurora. You're going to talk about distant worlds and I'll make a disclaimer. Now, if these two games are like your jam, if one of them is like your thing that you do, Oh, this is going to, this this is is going to infuriate you you because we have no idea what we're talking about. We, I think we both scratched the surface a little bit enough to, well, I enjoyed myself, but yeah, this isn't the show for you. So maybe you can listen and laugh, but and we'll probably still get messages on our our forum. But yeah, we're we're either going to get this mostly wrong or miss huge parts of it. But I wanted to scrape some of the less commonly talked about parts of the of the genre together because there's just a lot less of those games these days where they're they're sort of on the the fringe because everything gets covered and everything gets talked about. So this is this is their time to shine. Yeah. Uh, so. I think we, so. We talked about distant worlds ages ago, like in like first gen, three moves ahead. Uh, well, maybe second gen because it was after I, I, I joined the show. What, I think what gen are we on now? I started hosting. Uh, this is uh, can we call probably it gen four? Third third wave? 
or a four, Gen four? No, I think we're on the fourth wave now. Okay. Um, because I like I think fourth wave is like when you start seeing Fraser and Rowan, uh, like taking a larger part and being more regulars. Okay, I'll buy. And, I'll buy that. Yeah. So anyway, um, we talked about distant worlds, vanilla distant worlds, ages ago, and I think at this point, like I think we're talking about a, like six years ago now. We, we we talked about this game or or something like that. Um, and it was part of an early topics episode back when we did more of those uh, about virtual viceroys and the the sort of thing we explored distant worlds. Uh, the the angle that we took on distant worlds when we first discussed it is that Distant Worlds was a game operating in the tradition of uh, games that allow you to automate a lot of functions and outsource a lot of like player duties to the AI. But what made Distant Worlds interesting in this is it was the first time that like, well, it was the first time I can, I can really name that automation really became like a core mechanic uh, of the game. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of times automation kind of worked the way it works in, like, civilization games, right? Where, like, particularly games like Civ Two, where eventually you just had too many cities to really get anything out of managing them all one by one. Most of them just needed to be churning out money or troops or something. So you'd automate them, and then you'd never deal with them again, uh, unless they became, like, the front line of something or other. Uh, so, like... It just that was just sort of a stop to the fact that eventually things started to get a little unwieldy, and a lot of the decisions you had to make weren't necessarily that important or didn't need that much like oversight. So you could like give these simple tasks to an AI and it would fulfill them. Enter distant worlds, and I'm probably I'm pro- I'm sure a bunch of games probably worked in this in this tradition and probably developed this idea a little further. And if you go back and listen to that episode, I'm sure. Uh, you know, Troy and company sort of drew a, a slightly clearer line between automation and then uh, sort of the virtual viceroy concept that Distant Worlds really embraces. But it was uh, Distant- April 7th, 2010, by the way. It was you, Tom, and Troy. So, six- yeah. yeah. Wow. Six years. Yep. Wow. We've been doing this for a long time. Yep. Uh, and then <laughs> Distant Worlds, still going strong. Distant Worlds, <laughs> finally. <laughs> Finally getting its sort of day in the sun, uh, even though I think, once again, it's going to be sort of how we I ended up sort of skittering off it, just like I did six years ago. Uh, but Distant Worlds enters and makes automation basically one of the pillars of the game, where it is throwing so much stuff at you that if you want to get your hands into every single aspect of your empire, you can do that, but then the game becomes really difficult to actually play. Uh, there's just too much stuff being thrown at you. There's, there's, there's too much that you've got to go deal with personally. So you've got to sort of pick your battles. What, what needs your attention uh, right here and now? And a lot of the rest of you know, the day-to-day stuff, you kind of leave to AI governors. Uh, and it can, it can get pretty extensive. Like if, if you want to, uh, and this is an unu- unusual for a Forex game, but like if you want to, you don't even really need to like concern yourself with like science and research. You can just let you know your your AI manager sort of decide what the correct research priorities are uh, at a given at a given time. Uh, you can let it manage a whole lot of of, of trade uh, and and economic development. 
and and you almost have to uh, given given how big this game gets. But what's interesting is that allows distant worlds to really become far more granular than I think most other uh, 4x or grand strategy games allow themselves to be. I think it's honestly it reminds me a lot of Victoria Two. But with even I'm more listening. stuff going on inside of it, mm-hmm. and you know, so so Victoria Two was a bit like Victoria Two is a bit of like an ant farm in some ways, where like your controls over your empire in Victoria Two generally are still about the big stuff, fleets, armies, um, you know, promoting certain types of economic development or uh, trade relationships over another. But a lot of what you're still watching is just how these little, the the pops in your empire are evolving and how those changes to the the demographic breakdown of your country are going to drive changes to the economic game you're playing. Right. It's like, it's like indirect control rather than direct control, right? You're pulling levers and hoping that a cause and effect relationship happens so you can watch the pops, you know, move up in society, but you can't just say... You know, 5,000 you guys, now you're clerks. Right, exactly. And so there's times when you're sitting there tapping your foot being like, man, I really need more educated, like, white-collar workers, and I just don't have, they don't exist. And you just need to wait for your, uh, for po- for population movement education to sort of catch up with uh, with the need. So there's that. There's that indirect control. Distant Worlds has that, by the way. Distant Worlds is very clear that it's sort of divided in two. There's there's the state, which is the stuff you can control, and then there's this entire other economic engine that you deal with uh, and control sort of indirectly. You can influence it, but you can't say, like, grab 12 freighters and send them to, you know, the Grendel system to go get, you know, your space box. You can't do that. Uh, those ships are being driven by the AI, but really they're sort of being driven by this idea of private enterprise within your empire. That said, there's still a ton of little decisions and administrative choices you can make uh, across distant worlds for developing your empire. And so it really starts to feel a little bit like you still have that indirect control aspect, that's that, that ant farm uh, aspect where, where you're watching things happen. But then if you want to, you do have the option of actually sort of cracking it open and starting to rearrange the actual, like, you know, grains of sand uh, in, in the ant farm. And that's kind of, I think, where, you know, where, I, I, like, you can start the discussion with Distant Worlds. Uh, is that, by and large, you don't need to get that granular. You don't need to be worrying about the individual placement of a gas mine, uh, for instance. But you have the option of doing that, if you so choose. Well, and you get to do it, you get to do it per per let's say area of the world right it's not an all or nothing proposition where you're either doing full automation or nothing at all you get to pick like if you're really into economy you can do economy and let them take care of the military stuff yeah and like distant worlds it does try to make it so that you can focus your efforts in in one area like there's a ton of different things you can turn automation on or off for um, where I've started to actually, and this is this is actually something I, I need to bring up as as a problem I'm having with the game. So 
at the start of a game, like automation is pretty much on everything by default. Uh, so you kind of have to choose to start taking over these functions. Uh, what I'm having trouble figuring out is what options I have for like selective automation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how can I how can I leave? You know, how, like how can I leave um, most of my fleets, you know, to their own devices, but then really focus like my personal oversight and control on like one sector and one group of fleets, right? Like I basically want to be managing by hand like three or four fleets and two uh, two colonies, and I want everything else to sort of run according to like the parameters I set. That's where I start to struggle because that that's the kind like. Distant Worlds does a very good job of surfacing the bi- the big, um, broad brush strokes uh, choices about automation, but it still leaves me feeling at times like things feel like they're all or nothing. And I'm I'm sure there has to be some sort of middle case that that I can I can find, but it's not always immediate immediately apparent to me how I can how I can strike that balance, but. But the but the main point is that distant worlds can kind of you can go as far down these rabbit holes as you like. Fraser Brown told me a story like three years ago that he was really getting into the game, and I was like, I I remembered how how challenging I found it back in like you know 2010, and he was like, well, here's what I did to, to start learning it. I let I left everything automated, mm-hmm. and I just controlled a single exploration ship. And so for me, Distant Worlds was basically like Star Trek. Yeah. I just flew around the galaxy exploring and like meeting new races. And that's what I did. That That's the type of like, that's how weird Distant Worlds can get. That is actually a valid way to play it. You can basically not play the 4X angle of it. You can basically choose like a long range scout or cruiser and just treat it like you are Captain Picard and the AI is basically running the entire Federation. You can do that. Or you can literally be sort of parachuting into every single spaceport and colony around your empire and being like, uh, I think, you know, I really feel like another mining outpost would be good here. And I don't know if you considered, let's just tweak that tax rate a little bit. 12% sounds too low, but 13 just right. You can you can absolutely be that granular. Uh, so that's that's the daunting thing about Distant Worlds is that it gives you a lot of rope to hang yourself with. And its solution at first is to basically ask you every time you want to do something, like, are you sure? <laughs> this is automated right now. Are you really like you can design your own ships, Zachney. You really want to design your own ships? I'm a three moves ahead listener. I know you don't want to do that. So maybe just maybe just let the AI do that. Uh, so that's that's kind of where Distant World sort of uh, takes as its point of departure, yeah. uh, which I find really interesting. But I can't honestly say that I can't honestly say that I've embraced it because I'm still I still feel like I'm I'm trying to crack it. Have you played this game much? I feel like I feel like you've mentioned this game a few times in the past. Uh, if I've mentioned it in the past, it's mostly from that kind of sadistic goal to have you guys have to work through it for the show. Uh, I have it. I've opened it a few times, and I think that between this and Aurora, like it, it might be time. Because what you're saying, and when we get to Aurora, I got lots of thoughts on this. 
it, it almost seems like this is the solution to to some of the things I'm seeing in war. But at the same time, I don't know. So not yet, I guess, is the short answer to that. So I was playing it, and I, and I honestly feel like this this seems like one of the more Hermes type games I've I've played in a while. Yeah, because I think the other thing that I find really interesting in Distant Worlds is that it's wearing the skin of a Space 4X, but I really kind of find myself thinking that its closer peers are games like the Democracy series. Really? Uh, or or Vicky, uh, honestly. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, it's like... So to me, the, to me, the, the 4X in general is about... Um, just sort of fantasies of imperialism. And I don't say that like with, with much judgment. I, I I more mean just like, it's about this idea that like, there's all this empty space that you can go out and explore and colonize and build up and use it to become like rich, powerful and deadly to your enemies. And that's what a lot of forexes I think are selling and repackaging. And so a lot of the emphasis is on, that process of finding planets, establishing colonies, you know, set it, like turning them basically into economic engines and then going out and smashing into other empires and, and getting into all sorts of scraps. And there's a lot more to the good ones. Uh, you know, you can have really robust diplomacy systems. Um, I haven't played Stellaris in a while, but I gather that the diplomacy there is getting a little more, a little more nuanced and actually so are the empires. Uh, I know that like, um, you know, the Gaussiv series offers a lot of different ways to play it. But I think at a, at the basic level, you are still this, like, immortal god-king of your empire. And you're just kind of going out there, exploring, colonizing, and then building up. Distant Worlds, to me, just feels a lot more like a government management sim in in a lot of ways like and this is where i mean it feels a lot more like vicky distant worlds is way more interested in what happens after things are already set up than it is in just going out and exploring mm -hmm. uh new, new new territory and new space uh that process is actually pretty straightforward in fact like it's a very telling detail but when you are there's a there's an expansion planner uh in the in distant worlds that basically allows you to sort of consider what your next options are for your next moves are for expansion through the lens of what are the most important like trade resources in the galaxy right now distant worlds is already assuming that like expansion for expansion's sake isn't really the point of this game the point is like to drive economic growth and the more you look into this game like it just seems much more concerned about like letting private enterprise take off and influencing an independent economic engine uh, through, through policy choices. Um, it's much more interested in transactional relationships between you and other AI factions rather than just a abstract, like, you know, angry, hostile war, you know, type, you know, gradient uh, of relationships. It's, it's much more about like ongoing agreements and uh, exchanges. It's like you're peering into my dreams. Yeah, I mean, this is so I'm sitting there, I'm playing it. I'm like, there, there's, there's a lot here, and it, it definitely felt like 
it felt like Vicky in space uh, with, with even more uh, granularity and, and direct control, but also maybe a little lacking in terms of, and I need to play more of it, but like what I didn't get from Distant Worlds was necessarily the sense that there's all these different pops that represent different classes and ideas uh, in the game. So, like, you can have a multi-ethnic empire and you have, like, different races within your empire and that can create its own strife, but at least in, in, in what I've played, what I don't quite get the feeling of is, like, you know how in Vicky, no sooner have you started um, really building up your, your economy and, and transitioning from, like, rural agricultural to, like, urban industrial. No sooner have you done that and you've started to see your education system start churning out the educated workers you need for your factories and, and your factory managers. Uh, but as that happens, these pops also begin to evolve in what they want out of, out of a government. Uh, and things start to maybe get away from you uh, because you've driven, you wanted to drive one change, but now that change is sort of trying to force four or five additional changes onto you that maybe you don't want to make. That's one of the really cool things about Victoria. I have not yet seen whether Distant Worlds has that angle going for it. But that that aside, that, that said and that aside, uh, it, it definitely feels much more about like, administering your space empire rather than just like building it up for its own end. Wow. That sounds really appealing. And you've, I'm also happy you so succinctly summed up, you know, some of the main reasons I, I think Victoria is probably the best, my favorite pair paradox game, um, that kind of balance. And I've got other cultural reasons for why I think it's the most interesting, but like what you're describing is kind of, uh, kind of the solution to, I think a lot of the, the things I've found, uninteresting of a lot of 4x games is that you know ultimately it ultimately they boil down to the same thing right i mean galsiv versus uh endless space i guess stellaris might be a little different i haven't dove into that one either but having a deeper layer of economics and having a deeper layer of uh diplomacy just kind of brings it past all right i've got a colony here and i, I they all kind of end up feeling like like sins after a while. I mean, if you think of sins of a solar empire, they had, you know, there's, there's yes. quote unquote an economic model, but you're really just smashing big fleets against each other, um, which is fine. But I, I always wished there was something more. And it sounds like distant world is something more. I mean, I think what I like, what I love about sins is it comes by it honestly, right? Well, it's yeah. like, look, all this other, like, and I, I think maybe this is uh, like a, I think this is maybe what you're driving at. Sins is very upfront about like it is look, unapologetic. It is it is yeah. what it is, and I love it for that. You like big ass ships smashing into each other. Great, I got you. And everything else is temporary. You can have little trade relationships, and there can be money tra- changing hands and ways to be more efficient. But ultimately, it's going to come down to like smashing each other with like giant ships, which is cool. And I think kind of what you're saying is that a lot of space forexes, if you strip away a managerial veneer what you find is a fussier sins underneath it, but ultimately it's still kind of sins. Is that, is that kind of what you're going, going for? You are as eloquent as you are correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, 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 I tend to agree with that uh, position. Um, and I think distant worlds is, is very consciously t- 
taking issue with that with, with that general design ethos and uh, trying to do its own thing. Something I, I do need to say here. Um, this is an enormously daunting game. However, what I remember from 2010 was basically an impenetrable strategy game. Um, and maybe this is just my, my mind playing tricks on me, but I seem to remember like having PDF manuals open all the time and just struggling like hell to really understand what was going on. Uh, if you buy Distant Worlds Universe, which you can get on Steam... Um, and that's the full tamale, right? That's all the expansions, like the big deluxo package. I th- I think so. I think I think that literally has everything, including an expansion that I have not even touched, which is like um, sort of an ancient uh, version, like mm-hmm. basically before the galaxy's current era, like all the, the precursors. Take it into the sort of precursor race era, uh, which sounds interesting, but like I couldn't appreciate it at the moment. But if you start that game... It actually has a really long runway uh, to sort of get you up to speed on core game concepts. Like, it has a really uh, helpful set of tutorials. And, God, even the interface uh, just feels, just seems nicer than, than I remember it being. Uh, I mean, this is, this is a game I've, like, literally not played in, like, six years. But now it just seems to have a lot more useful info and iconography on the main screen it's still a little hard to read um both in terms of the icons are maybe a little too small and not distinctive enough so there's a lot you know there's a lot of like inscrutable buttons uh but the tutorial does a great job of sort of taking you by the hand and going step by step through like core game concepts where it begins to fall down is there's a difference between teaching someone how to use a part of the interface and why to use it. And I think that's, that's where Distant World starts to really leave you at sea really fast. Uh, there, there are tool tips. There, are, there is a version of like the Civilopedia uh, where you can sort of dive into game concepts to, to get a little more context on what menu you have open and, and the ramifications of doing stuff there. So there's still a lot of like player aids there but in terms of the guided tutorial it's like okay so good now you now you know how to select and move ships around great we done here it's like well boy not not really because like what like what should i be doing with all these ships right like when it like when do i want to automate a fleet and when do i want to have one under my personal control right like how to you know how do I manage like ca- like carriers? Like how does how does all this work? That's where Distant World starts to like, like just sort of leave that for you to figure out, and that is still an awful lot of stuff to to figure out. And the, even the introductory game, uh, which you know is it's easy, you're lavish with a ton of resources and everything. It still doesn't really have. It's not a, it's a game that's complicated is not going to be that intuitive. Uh and it's not providing you a ton of help on like, you know, well, here's what you should be colonizing and here's why, right? Like, okay, so here's here's kind of how the uh galactic economy works and why you want a relationship with this, you know, party versus this other. Um it doesn't really help too much with that stuff. So on the one hand, like figuring out how to play and like where the stuff is to actually execute uh, moves, 
That isn't so hard in Distant Worlds. That's gotten a lot easier. At the same time, the game seems to have expanded a great deal and is maybe even more complicated. So, you know, easier to, easier to get to a point where you can just start messing around in Distant Worlds, but also really easy to get to a point where you just have no idea what you're doing. Like, you're pushing buttons and you just have no clue what what impact that is going to have. And that's that's a dangerous place to leave a player, I think. So I have a thought here, and you, you tell me if I'm way off base, but just thinking about the timeline you mentioned as far as sort of the last time you got into this and your observation that you find it at least easier to navigate and do things now. And do you think between 2010 or, you know, the mid-2000s and now, the tolerance for the complexity of these games has grown higher because when you think about, you know, Civ used to be like one of the biggest, most complicated games there was, right? There's so much going on. There's so much other things happening. But in the face of your Paradox games and your other 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 types of strategy games, like things have, I don't want to say gotten out of hand, but we've definitely grown more tolerant of different systems, text-heavy UI, um, just things that would let's say in 2005, be considered completely impenetrable. Like, yeah, CK2, all about it. You know, sheets upon sheets of character data, stuff like that. Have has has? Do you think strategy gaming has just gotten more complicated and thus caught hmm. up to where Distant Worlds was 10 years ago? Boy, that's, that is a really good question. Um, and a good insight. I think, I think the answer is very, like, a resounding yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I definitely think when I look at like, you know, who's in our bullpen or three moves ahead and our listeners and just various like Twitter friends and everything, like six years ago, if you play paradox games, you were kind of like the nerd, right? Like yeah. it was like, it was kind of an unusual thing. Like, whoa, you play, like you play EU and I got into European Universalis three, um, Basically by, well, that, that's the second point. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But, so, yeah, six years ago, um, Paradox Games were, were kind of these these weird, uh, you know, niche uh, games within the strategy space. Civilization uh, and its ilk kind of, kind of dominated. And, yeah, I mean, a game like Distant World seemed incredibly daunting and, uh, and weird at the time. And now it is much more speaking a language that I think more of us are comfortable with, right? Right down to the pause and play. Like Distant Worlds is absolutely a you know a space to pause, space to space to move time forward mm-hmm. uh, t- type game. So you know, right down to that stuff. Like in a lot of ways, it it, it plays uh, like like a paradox game. And so to an extent, it is easier to figure out what this game is up to because now a lot of its concepts seem way less out there and are much more comfortable for players like me. The flip side is that we see games like this done pretty well now on a regular basis Mm -hmm. with a fair bit of polish. Admittedly, still largely by Paradox, right? Like, Paradox are absolutely benefiting from, like, the fact that they've cultivated their own audience and they steadily win more converts, but all the games fundamentally, like play according to the same logic. Not the same rules. They, they're all very different games. But, like, you know, once you've learned the Paradox interface and the way it tends to represent game concepts, you've kind of learned all the Paradox games. 
And they've done a good job of streamlining a lot of that and smoothing away the rough edges. Distant Worlds, still a few more rough edges, right? Like, it's it's just not as refined as uh, as recent Paradox games. So on the other hand, even though it's more familiar and less daunting, there's also kind of a it-pisses-me-off aspect uh, to all this where I'm like, you know, this is cool, but, like, come on, man. Like, you know, it's it's 2017. Like, you know, get, get on get on Paradox's level. Uh, even though it's still building on the foundation of, of a 2010 game. So seeing that... So on the one hand, like, absolutely, it's less daunting. On the other, it is, you know, it, the competition is also stiffer. Something I will say is that I feel like six or seven years ago, I was also more cool with beating my head against a wall. Yeah. Like, you're opening over Silas 3. I had heard was this amazing historical strategy game. Like, just a must-have for anyone who cared seriously about history and strategy games. So I start playing it, and at the time I was on this big Frederick the Great kick. Um, and so I used Prussia as my sort of point of entry uh, into the game. Stupidly chose Prussia in, like, the 1400s or something back when it's just one of many electors and, and doesn't actually matter uh, at all. But I played an entire game of EU as this like tiny crappy little German principality. No power to do anything. Could put like 2000 guys in the field at a time. Had no idea what was going on. The game just played itself around me. And I was cool playing an entire game like that where I would just sort of experiment with these game concepts and because I could sort of fly below the radar you know I could just kind of play around with them and I wasn't going to get wiped out I just had to be a little careful uh, basically buddy up to Austria and then late in the game buddy up to uh, I think Russia but I could do all of that uh, and I was cool with that even though looking back on it that was an enormously boring experience like it was hours and hours of just poking at these systems to see what would happen if I, like, you know, what happens if I do this action consistently for, like, 12 years? What? How does the game change? Oh, that's how. And I was cool doing that. And now, I'm actually less patient for stuff like that. You know what I mean? And to an extent, I'm not sure there's a, I'm not sure there's a more elegant process for learning a lot of games like this. Like, I'm not sure there, I'm still not sure there was a better way to learn EU3. I'm not sure there's a good way of learning uh, distant worlds beyond what I've been doing for the past like week or so, which is just like struggling with it and feeling like I'm screwing up a lot. Except now, that constant feeling of like not really getting it and that paranoia that you know it's like what I'm doing is not having the effects I want, um, just is really frustrating. So yeah, it's I think it's a double-edged sword, certainly. So here's a question, and this also speaks to what's different now versus what's different then. When you were going through this, did you look at any Let's Plays on YouTube? Hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't, uh, because I just, I'm not a big Let's Player kind of guy. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a time factor to it, right? Like, am I going to spend 30 minutes watching someone play this when I could spend 30 minutes playing it? But, you know, as soon as you said you were talking about how the tutorials tell you what to do, but they don't necessarily tell you why... I think one of the big, you know, boons of all the Let's Plays you see now is that this 
the whoever's doing it will narrate and say, well, I want to do this because if you do this, it's going to do that. And so that's like the second half of the equation, right? You get technical information from the manuals and then the let's plays really give you, I, I you know, I've, I've watched all sorts of them where you, you sort of have to sift through some nuggets to, to get to the, the little minor points. And you're like, oh, I see what I was doing wrong this whole time. And it's just an offhand remark from somebody. But, you know, that's another thing that's changed since Distant Worlds has come out is that, like, there's this whole just YouTube phenomenon of people who just play the games and explain them as they go along and do a really good job of kind of filling in that that missing piece. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's something that I probably should embrace because I, I am certain that more strategy developers are. Yeah, uh, I am certain that they are sort of trusting that they're, Let's player community and their their Reddit guides uh, will take a lot of the load for tutorializing new players. Um, so yeah, I probably cut off my nose to spite my face. For me, it was just more of a you know coming home from work. Okay, yeah. I guess you know I better dive into this. Well, this is this is kind of daunting, and you know rinse, wash, repeat. Um, I am curious, like, is that sort of your approach to strategy games now? Like, have you become more Let's Play and, like, Reddit guide-driven? No. Actually, <laughs> after having said that, even when I think about it, I haven't. Um, and even when I approached Aurora, I kind of made it a point. Like, I want to I wanna sort of beat my head against the wall on purpose to see if I can figure this out. And, um, you know, kind of not after the fact, because obviously we're still doing this. But I, I did fire up one or two just to see what people had done. Uh, and it was interesting because, you know, you can learn quite a bit more in, I think, a shorter amount of time, but it's more learning by watching than learning by doing. I, I think they're both fine. I think Let's Plays are, I think they're great for strategy and they're great for learning. And, you know, as you said, the developers think they're great. You're starting to see some of the bigger ones have, you know, sponsored Let's Plays, which, okay, it's a paid demo now at this point where, you know, here's here's some money, streamer X, let's, you know, you, you'll do a 20 part thing on our game but um right yeah they fill they fill in the why and that was one thing that now that i've seen a few after having struggled with aurora i mean i i, I think they're helpful um but again it's just time it's like here's a 30 part series in 40 minute increments like when when am i gonna watch all of that material i i don't i just can't do it so let's let's dive in to aurora because this is a game that i've like really only heard of yep but haven't uh like like haven't played it looks it looks super weird yeah uh even by the standards of the yeah. space forex these days yeah so probably one of the the biggest things you'll you'll hear people talk about would be the interface uh so before diving into the game i want to travel back in time again to like the mid 90s right okay. um so we're in the mid 90s and as far as like, let's say you want to program something like you want to make a piece of software, you know, it wasn't as easy as it is now. Like you want to, you want to not only write a piece of software, but you want to have a user interface. Okay. Uh, something that looks like a program with buttons and text box, text boxes and things like that. Like it's, it's hard to do. And the people that did it are the people who were, you know, deeply steeped in computer science and programming. Um, you just couldn't casually do it uh, until along came a, a variant of the basic language and basic is it has been around for much longer than the mid nineties, but it's an, it's an entry level program. Um, the B is for beginner. It's actually an acronym, but 
the premise of basic is, hey, there's it's a very straightforward language. You can learn a lot of things easily um, and you can just kind of start programming. So then a product called Visual Basic by Microsoft allowed programmers to create drag and drop user interfaces, right? You want a button, you just drag the button over, you plop it. You double click the button, up comes the code where you can start typing your functions. And, you know, at this point, it, it sort of democratized who could write a program, right? You could just sort of dive into it. You could learn a, a very simple variant of a simple programming language, and you could make a user interface in like no time at all. And the result was an entire generation of complete shit UI design that uh, <laughs> real programmers, gen, like when I say real programmers, and like people whose pro job is to program things for a living, would just look at and shake their heads. So you've got, you know, code written by people who don't professionally write code and user interfaces. What, what, what are some of your quintessential references for like just garbage UI out of that era? Uh, it's funny. It's one of those things like you know it when you see it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like, is this, like does original XCOM meet the like? Because for the time, maybe that was an elegant interface. But going back to it now, I'm like, I would sooner die. Yeah, uh, actually, think of. I mean, these are things that still look like Windows native Windows forms. So think oh. of right. Oh, so think of that. Yeah, like like any ship? modern war game. Yeah, any modern war game. What's the what's the uh, John like poor John Tiller? Like God, God love him. <laughs> but like, it's all those games are still like Windows three point one aesthetic. Well, exactly. And I would bet exactly. They're still right. using that code base. And a lot of the user interfaces now, when you write them, they they sort of adapt to whatever. You know, a Windows ten app is going to look like Windows ten, but if you run it under Windows seven, it's going to look like Windows seven. When you see a Visual Basic 6 app, it has the same battleship gray, the same buttons, the same checkboxes, and it still looks terrible. And I'm an engineer by trade. I'm not a programmer. I've totally done this where, like, I just need something. I write it, and any self-respecting real programmer would look at it and be like, this is shit. Uh, but you have all sorts of games, program stuff that came out of, out of Visual Basic 6 that are just a train wreck. And this is like that. Aurora is like that writ large, right? The entire interface, with the exception of the map areas, are these just huge, you know, visual basic forms of buttons and drop downs and tables and checkboxes. Um, when you when you when you use this game, if you're not looking at the 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 map screen with the with circles that indicate orbits and things like that, it is just a Windows program. Um, it is. It's breathtaking. Uh, the, the, the background behind this is um, it is, of course, the fever dream of a single madman who writes this game uh, for himself. And if other people like it, that's perfectly fine. But that's not really his his main selling point. Uh, but it's a space 4X in a, in a somewhat traditional manner. Uh, there was a cataclysm on Earth, I think. But the entire population of Earth is, I think, 50 million people when you start, right? Of course, everything is user adjustable. Every aspect of when you fire up the game, you can create the world to your heart's desire. But in, in the base scenario, Earth, 50 million people, and uh, just discovered uh, trans-Newtonian trans elements, as they're called. Uh, the elements that kind of crack open this next level of exploration and science so that you can do all the cool things that you need to have a sci-fi game, like use jump gates, you know, mass driver technology, all that good stuff. Uh, which, okay, that seems reasonable. But uh, let me ask you a question, Rob. In distant worlds, if you want your ship to go someplace, do you... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. If you want your ship to go someplace, do you click on the ship? 
I left click on a ship to select it. Okay. All right. So the, hold, hold on, right hold on, hold click. on. So there's a graphical oh, okay. representation of your ship, and you click on it, and you've selected it. And yes. then, and then to do something, let's say either attack something or just go someplace. What, how do you get it to do that? Uh, I have two options. Uh-huh. I can just right click uh, on a place I want it to go, mm-hmm. and then the ship will have the mission go here. Uh-huh. Uh, or if I want to assign it a slightly more complicated mission, mm-hmm. uh, I can right-click on the ship, and a drop-down appears with a variety of missions that ship can fulfill, and then I can go to the mission type I want to fill. So, like, I can send it to patrol somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are the two main ways of interacting with a ship or fleet. All right. Um, what you're describing there is... Light years beyond what we have to deal with in Aurora. Okay, if oh, I want the ship, bastard. if I want the ship to do anything, I have to pull up like the fleet management. Okay, here's here's the thing. This is how you start the game, right? You want you want to have a ship. Let's just say you want a ship. We're not even going to talk about doing anything yet. Okay, you want to have a ship. You have to design the class of ship because there are no ships. Whatever ships are going to be in the game, you have to design them. Okay. Oh, you know how I feel about that. Oh, it gets better. So you pull up the ship class designer thing, and you, and you get all of these options. You can name the ships whatever you want. You can name the classes of ships whatever you want. You can have all these great options. And you start building this thing, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I just want to put sensors on it. There's sensors here. Okay, I'll add sensors. And then you notice, huh, there's no engines. Okay. Okay. Michael, I have a very important question at this yep, point. Yep, yep. In many games with a ship design tool, yeah. there's sort of a checklist yeah. that updates as you put components on. And it will also highlight critical things like, hey, there's no life support on this ship yet. You probably want to do something about that. Or this ship can't actually move because its mass far outstrips the thrust of its engines. Mm-hmm. Does that? Nope. Okay, <laughs> cool. So no. you are basically having to design from scratch. Yep. And intuit mm-hmm. the proper balance of resources and equipment on that ship. Right. And I've seen helpful forum posts that say, hey, here's your basic ship checklist. Make sure you have all these things. But that's not in the game. That's on a forum that you have to go find. Okay. So we're back to our ship. You go to say, oh, crap, there's no engines on this ship. Well, there are no engines, period. You have to go design the engines. So you go back to a different screen where you start up a research project to design an engine. And you get to name the engine. You get to say how massive is the engine. Oh, God. How fuel efficient is the engine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Design the engine. Start a research project to research the engine before you can assign it to your your uh, class to then build the class. Okay? But we're not there yet. Where do you build ships at a shipyard? Oh, my God. <laughs> you go to your shipyard screen, and you can say things like, okay, well, I've got two shipyards. One of them has one slip, and one of them has two slips. Okay, so this one can build one ship at a time, and this one can build two. Awesome. Uh, but the ship I want to build is an 8,000-ton ship, but these are only spec for 5,000-ton ships. So then you have to start a project for your shipyard to up its size of how big of a ship it can handle once you've done that so you've you've properly sized your shipyard you've properly well you hope you've properly designed a ship which doesn't do anything except like in the beginning like i'm just going to build a sensor ship to go do geological surveys you have to tool the shipyard 
for that class of ship. So this shipyard can only build from that single class. So you have to go retool it. Oh my lord! Every time you want, to, which makes sense from a manufacturing standpoint. If you've ever well, well, worked yeah, in I mean, a factory, it's very realistic, that's, that's but... how shit works. You need to change your tooling. Okay, you've retooled the ship for your shipyard, which I think is a, is, a, is a fun decision. But to get to this point where you can build a ship, which is going to take you know a year or two years of of time. It took me, I think, two multi-hour sessions to get to this point. All right, and I haven't even built a ship yet. That—that's—that's that's the sh- that's the level of both granularity and lack of direction that the the base game, when you just sit down and you're looking at it, you know, it's not going to tell you that hey, stupid, you've advanced time, but you're not researching any projects. It's not going to tell you that your industry isn't making factories or new. Uh, military academies, or even what those will do, it will happily just let time pass with nothing, you know, indicating that something is wrong. And I think that's awesome. I love it. I I, as it, <laughs> I was waiting for the punchline. There's no punchline. I think this game is great. I think the mo- I, the other night it was Saturday. When well, it was last week Saturday, it was like nine o'clock at night. Kids have been in bed for a little while. Wife decides she's going to bed early. I pour myself a beer. I settle in, and I just sit there and look at research projects. I'm like, what do I want my nerds working on, right? Um, research. This has my favorite. After Hearts of Iron 3, this is my favorite research and tech tree model, okay? Because I get really frustrated with the traditional tech tree. Like, okay, suspension of disbelief is one thing. We've got spaceships. We've got aliens and stuff. But I have a really hard time believing that the entire sum of every culture's scientific research is going towards mass drivers. And then they say, we're done. Great. Everybody stop what you're doing. Now it's plants. We're going to re we're going to grow plants on (laughs) desert plants. Everybody stop what you're doing and go do that. (laughs) I I have problems with that. So hearts of iron three, which oddly ties in because that was also a game you could automate to some extent um, with little checkboxes, but hearts of iron three, you had sliders. Um, some people don't like sliders, but you could say, okay, we're working on this tank. We're working on this type of airplane. 30% of you guys are over here doing this. 70% of you guys are over here doing this. You're not going to finish at the same time, but that's not the point. So that's what's going on in Aurora. You've got drop down menu, which actually, once you select the thing, it tells you below what it actually does. Right? So that's nice. Uh, there's no civilopedia. There's no central repository for knowledge, but at least when you're researching, you've got this. So then you select from your pool of scientists a project manager. And project managers have specialties in, you know, sensors and, and uh, or weapons or energy or something like that. And you say, all right, nerd number five, Sarah Cunningham, you know, you're good. You're going to give me a 15% bonus at this because sensors are your thing. I'm going to assign you to this. I have a pool of 30 research laboratories. You get 10 of them. Go do your thing. Now I'm going to take Steve carlson who's really good at geology and he's going to be the project manager of something else that's how you do your research um again it doesn't tell you that you're not doing any research or that something's going wrong but that's kind of how it goes and i i I really enjoy that model of of how to do it at the same time there's no automation of anything now it could be that somebody's going to write me a nasty email that i've i've missed glaring portions of this that's fine. As far as I could tell, there's no, there's no way to automate these things, right? When, when you said you could dive down to the granular level in um, 
distant worlds if you want. I don't think it's an option here. Like you're telling every fleet, every ship, every commander exactly what they're going to do, no more, no less. And they're just going to sit there waiting if they don't. I had officers that were finishing their, uh, their time. Like after, I forget what it was like, you know, Tom Smith has been inactive for 6.32 years, thus fulfilling his military contract. He's gone now. Like that's the only update you get in the little like ledger of material. Like he's, oh shit, I guess I really should have done something with him. Um, there's 38 types of government. I, I have no idea what they all do. You know, it's hard enough to just, it's it, one thing that's very challenging is at the default, the context for your entire fleet is the classical um, naval setup, right? Which is a stereotype for Space 4X because they're all ships, but you've got your admiral, you've got your second yeah. lieutenants, you've got stuff like that. If you pick a um, a different culture at the start of your game, like, okay, I'm not going to be the you know english-based terrans i'm going to be the japanese-based something else's is well then all the names of all the ranks of everything's changed to things that i have no idea what they mean oh so god I, so it's like taisa yeah like oh my god and i don't know what those are and first of all another gripe is there's no option for polish names but that's a minor thing uh but because the first thing i always try to do is be polish if i can but there's there's no context for what any of those things mean. So again, you're just kind of out there for for what these ranks are. And so you see that rank X has been promoted just because they were reading a lot. I I don't know what that what that gets me. Um, during my time with the game, which was you know, we didn't have a ton of time to spend with this game. By the, by the time I kind of took it over with Troy, I um I got a ship. Um, I built the ship at my shipyard, which was tooled for that ship. Uh, to launch that ship, I had to build a team of people that I have assigned to a task force. I assigned people to a task force to do a geological survey. Um, I assigned them to the ship, which I had to create a separate task force from the task force of just ships at the shipyard to do a geological survey. Um, I got them on the ship, and I launched the ship towards the moon, which was great. I was actually really proud of the fact that when I was looking at this this map, there was a tiny dot with a comet tail. It looks kind of like a little, there's sperm all over the map because comets have the little tails on them. And it started yeah. heading towards the moon. I was so excited. I'm like, there's a ship. It left. I probably had that Kerbal space uh, program like moment. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I had the Kerbal moment. Where I'm like, holy shit, there's something leaving the planet and it's actually happening. Um, it orbited the moon for a little while. It completed its job and I have no idea what it found. I don't know what the geological survey told me. It's just that when you in don't the, know where that report went or like what, right. I'm sure believe. some clerk is sitting there with a PDF, like printed and stapled with, and, or maybe with a binder right. clip on it on his desk. I have no idea what it says, but um, like what, what displayed when you clicked on the moon or anything like that, like that never changed as far as you can tell, you don't click on the moon. You go to a menu where you see all the list of things that you've discovered. And then you oh, select, God. you select the thing that says moon. And then there's another menu that says, go to moon, colonize moon, you know, Maybe blow up moon later. I don't know. But but, the, but there's probably a thing that also lets you say see like values for the moon. Maybe I don't know. Maybe? I went. Okay. I, I all that all that comes up in my little ledger is you know the Lusitania's mission was completed. Okay. Fucking great. Okay. I don't. So, okay. <laughs> After that, I sent it off to Mars, and that's where we are. So okay, it it it's two giant engines got it to Mars in a surprisingly short amount of time because um, it's basically just two giant engines with like one sensor on it. 
which by the way, I had to size my engines properly. They had to be large enough and slow enough so as not to be military grade engines. They were commercial grade engines. That way it wasn't classed as a military ship. It's a minor point, but you might want to remember Why that. Why did you, you not want it to be classed military? Uh, if it's classed as a military, there's other restrictions on how it's built, I think. But that was a post that I found somewhere that says you want to make sure that your first ships are commercial ships, so size your engines properly. So anyway, you were going to say something. All right. So it sounds to me like this is an entire game built around the fun and for some people, there's going to be quotes around that fun and some not. Yeah, yeah. But the fun of shaving the yak. <laughs> Are you familiar with this? I'm familiar not with familiar this? with that expression, okay. but I like. I look forward to learning the, the, the okay. connotation. There's two different... I, I've heard it framed two different ways. Um, one from, uh, from, from uh, Julian's wife, actually. Uh, once gave him a lecture while he was trying to like plan the entire day of chores for the family. Uh, where she was like, you are... Dear, you are, you are shaving the yak. And what that means is basically there is an object you wish to attain. But the moment you contemplate that object, you begin identifying a million intermediate steps between where you are mm-hmm. and that object. And to the point where the original purpose is lost because now you are just like wading through this um horde of intermediate steps before you can you can attain the object so in this case like it's like well you want to shave the yak but before you can shave the yak you need to sharpen your shears but before you can you know it's it's sort of the opposite of for you know for want of a for, for want of a nail right yeah um and it sort of seems like this is generally like that the yak shaving thing is usually a bad thing right it says that like you have just managed to take a simple task and either overcomplicate it yep. or you've bitten off way more than you can chew and you just don't know yet because you haven't thought it through. Right. Uh, ultimately, both of these things are, are warning signs, so it's, it's, not, it's not good to be shaving the yak. This game seems to be like, shaving the yak's fucking awesome. Yeah. Okay. There has to be, you have to find the joy in the work of getting this thing running, Right. And there's there's a reason that this is like one of the less uh, this is one of those rocks that hasn't been fully turned over, right? There's still a little bit of moss underneath that we can scrape away uh, to to enjoy the fact of how much this game was designed with a total lack of restraint or design sensibilities. If here's a list of ifs: if you can get the game to run, which if you follow the base installation instructions um, by downloading from a link from the official forums because there's no official download link like on a website someplace uh you then have to go manually get some of the dll's you need to have the game run like there's other steps and this is where troy started going off the reservation and and some of the emails we got and maybe that's why his computer blew up i don't know but there is actually if you could get it to run which no one should do it that way by the way there's a portable installer that somebody put together um most of it is available from the actually very informative subreddit if you can get it to run, if you can get through the lack of kind of documentation and context, if you could put up with the fact that you're going to be sitting there dealing with um, minor administrative tasks, who's getting promoted when, how is this engine spec'd out, do I need another class of ship, do I have the budget for another class of ship, where am I going to build this ship, <coughs> Not still being fall sh- way short of like, 
attacking somebody else or even meeting anybody else because there are no aliens at the beginning. It's just you in the solar system. If you can get past all of that, what's underneath is one of the most detailed and satisfying simulations of a somewhat near future but eventually far-flung future uh, space empire that cannot be even remotely touched by anything else, right? Every game has some things that other things don't, but what the nugget of Aurora I don't think exists anywhere else. Is it worth it to get there? That's really up to the person. And after listening to us talk about it for the last 30 minutes, like you already know, right? Like, like I know this is, this is like, this is my stuff right here. Um, and yeah, and, and see like, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah, that I would like happily yeah. chop off a finger. Like not a, not a major finger, right? Like you know, I'm, I'm keeping my thumb and my index finger, but like, man, like I could totally do the yakuza, like two joints on the pinky. Yeah, yeah. If it meant I was not forced to play this. What What was the movie where Bill Murray is a masochist and he goes to a dentist who's a sadist, and <sighs> was Steve Martin the dentist? So Steve Martin is a dentist, and he's. He he's like the meanest, roughest dentist, and then Bill Murray goes in there, who's a masochist, and he's like, "Oh, you are just the best, Doc. This was amazing. Thank you so much." And the dentist keeps getting pissed because he's doing everything he can to give this guy a bad day, but Bill Murray's just loving every minute of it. That's what's going on here, because um, I don't know how you feel about distant worlds, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a hazard. I'm gonna hazard a guess that we've done this show, we've gone through this. Like, you're a busy guy. Are you going to go back? Are you going to keep... Do you think Distant Worlds is something you're going to return to or keep playing? Boy, that is a... Distant Worlds, I think, falls on that... It falls on the shelf of aspirational games. Right? Like, world enough in time. I would really like to get into Distant Worlds. I can see a lot there that, that I really dig. Like, I think it could reward me in the way that eventually I felt rewarded for coming back to Victoria 2 after its expansions uh, came out and really making a determined assault on that game to figure it out. And once I did, I was like, this is exquisite. Let us, you know, drinks all around. Let us celebrate, celebrate Chris King uh, and his, uh, his, his brilliant, insightful uh, strategy game, which at the time it originally left me, left me quite cold. I think Distant Worlds could be a game like that, but you're right. I think it's also one of those games that is never going to be the right day, the right week. I will always probably default to something a little less demanding, right? When yeah. I'm like, oh, like, you know, even playing Distant Worlds, I'm like, I'm not sure I have time to really pursue this and, and, and keep learning this. But, like, maybe I could scratch that itch a little more easily with, like, a return to Stellaris. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, like, I want I want to play more Distant Worlds. I want to understand it and get good at it. I suspect, you know, in, in the harsh light of reality, it will always be a game that, like, eh, when I get time, I'll go back to that. But I was saying that about Distant Worlds for six years until you forced the issue. Right. So you're waiting to be in a bank vault when the bombs drop, and then you come out and you can say, ah, now I could play Distant Worlds, but then your glasses fall off. And, yes. Right. My eyes melt. Right. Yeah. Um, Whereas yeah. you... Well, but, you know, for me, I have, I think, a little bit more... 
like again a challenge for you is like you you play games like you kind of have to right like you 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 have the demands that i think i don't where like you, you got to keep up with the show you know reviews things like that um but for me like distant world sounds fun but i think i need more aurora i think i need to meet some other civilizations because you know as long as for what it took me to get where i am and this was hours right if i fired up a new galaxy tomorrow i could be there in 15 minutes right right is this kind of the macro scale like dwarf fortress thing where like dwarf fortress like simulates a whole bunch of stuff but like i think its core building block as i understand it is like it maps out to a ridiculous degree individuals yep and individual like intent and desire and activity this sort of seems like the macro version of that i guess i think you know i think once you get past interface stuff in Dwarf Fortress, I think the detail is there. Like, you don't... The detail is there if you care, right? The detail is that your dwarf uh, lost his third... his third finger on his left hand, and he's really passionate about knitting, and he wrote this poem six months ago. Here's here's what it is. Um, but ultimately, he is, he is a box, and you move him from one place to another and tell him to do things. So the detail is there if you want to find it. The difference with Aurora is the details there whether you want to whether you want to find it or not, and you have to know it to do anything. Um, you know, you you mentioned Dwarf Fortress. This is probably the only other game when people say, "Hey, what's a game that's like Dwarf Fortress?" and people will say, "Well, it's Aurora," but you don't really want that, do you? Like, you want something that's like Dwarf Fortress, but you don't want Dwarf Fortress. This game is is in the same realm of Dwarf Fortress, where the the detail is there, but like it's not optional you're you're in the shit whether you want to be or not and while you're waiting for your ship to travel through space you still got to be making sure that you know you've got enough unobtainium or whatever the hell one of the 11 different elements are that are trans-newtonian elements so that your administrative facilities can keep churning out military recruits so that you can keep graduating people so that when they get promoted out of their current spot you can backfill their positions it's 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 mind-blowing and like i said this total lack of restraint for me is like something to celebrate um not for everybody to do so and that's fine and i i totally get it um but i'm i'm gonna keep playing this game and i want to learn more about it um i think if people want to like definitely check out some let's plays i think even i think quill 18 did a let's play on this um which everyone loves him right so go go check yeah, out his games good people yeah he's great he explains things very well um but i'd also say like like take a swing at it first like just just try to embrace it just try to to just to see what it's like right like just just give it a go and, and see what you can do with it and it's either it's either gonna completely bounce off you or it's gonna hit like skylab in australia right it's gonna be like huge for you and i think that uh i think there's Whoever is going to enjoy it is really, really, really going to enjoy it. But at the same time, it's kind of like out of the park baseball, right? Whoever's going to enjoy it is already enjoying it. So I don't know. Right. Uh, just a, just a quick question. Um, it looks very simple and crude uh, in a lot of ways. Does that translate to it runs like a dream because it's so straightforward? If you can get it running, are you just talking about like computer performance? Yeah, performance. Or? Like yeah, yeah. Because no, Troy made it sound nightmarish. If you could, getting it to run is the nightmare. Um, 
if you can get it to run, it's it's pretty low on resources, actually. I mean, it's just Windows okay, cool. Forms and some other stuff. It's doing a lot of math in the background, but um, this actually fits for me. So here's a quick behind the scenes uh, for three moves ahead. I sit and go through all the shows in real time, right? Like I queue everything up. I get all the files in, in place. And then I've yeah. got an hour and X minutes of... I've got this thing in front of me and I'm going to be listening to it and correcting things as I go. But that's just time I'm sitting at my computer. I'm always looking for an alt tab game where when Bruce gets going on a point and I know that he's got this locked in and I'm just listening for like something to explode in the background, I flip over to out of the park baseball Um, or something similar, right? It's mostly text. It's pausable or turn-based or something. And I flip over, I move my guys around uh, I make some decisions and like, oh, somebody coughed. I go back, I cut it out, uh, and then I go on from there. So I'm kind of multitasking with something in the background. This is perfect. Very resource minimal. Um, it's just text. Nothing happens until you click the button that says, okay, <laughs> one more thing I want to mention, and I haven't gotten to the point where I need to do it, is the way time advances is there's buttons across the top. And on the far right, there's a button that says 30 days. So if you click that button, 30 days, just zip simulates right there uh it goes hold on i've got it actually up right now do f3 uh 30 days five days one day eight hours three hours one hour 20 minutes five minutes two minutes 30 seconds five seconds you can you can simulate and make the world pass time in five second increments now i'm assuming when i'm in a pitched space battle with um some other civilization i haven't met yet and i'm making really important commands i'm going to need that five second button to see what happens but that's what we got here that that's the whole game in a nutshell right there's buttons across the top you can do 30 days five seconds whatever you want to do figure it out that is an illuminating detail yep there you go all right uh i think that will do it for this week this ended up being a much more thought-provoking week (laughs) of uh through ahead than i'm so glad we did it i'm so glad uh, I actually like. I actually am too. Like as much as I cursed your name uh, and, and made light of it at the start, I think I think it was worth it. I, and who knows? Maybe in a couple months, I will have taken even more of a stab at distant worlds and will be forcing the rest of the panel uh, to to attack it. Yeah. Um, or not. But yes. <laughs> yeah. Or not. Uh, we'll, so we'll be back next week with uh, more strategy discussion. Uh, probably we'll be back on track with the winter of wargaming. Uh, we've got a pretty interesting slate of games that I want to work through this winter. Uh, through His Head, as always, is produced by me, this guy right here, Michael Hermes, and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at ThroughMovesAhead.net or follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Through Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. This topic in particular is brought to you by our Patreon backers during our monthly topic vote, uh, although, again, it was also a bit of a clever trap from Michael Hermes. Uh, you can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Michael Hermes, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.